Hey there, it's Ethan from Edge of NFT here. Welcome to the episode. Today we're bringing you a very special one filled with content curated from our recent travels to Southeast Asia and beyond. Stay tuned for some amazing interviews with incredible folks. We'll cut from one conversation to the next, introducing each guest as they arrive to give you the feeling like you're right there with us, jumping into each engaging conversation as it emerges. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hi guys, this is Josh Krieger, one of the co-hosts of Edge of NFT, live at All That Matters. It's day two in Singapore. We're heavily caffeinated and we've time zone adjusted. And this is an exciting event. It's a melting pot of sorts of music and gaming and sports, entertainment, and of course Web3. So naturally I have some of the crew at Sandbox representing from Asia here, Johan and George. Great to have you guys. Thanks for having us. would love to learn a bit about each of you and your journey in terms of getting involved with Sandbox. Let's start with the OG, Johan. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Johan. I am currently Global Operations Manager for the Sandbox. Uh, I've joined the Sandbox in 2019 in early days. So I've been sticking around. Uh, That's <laughs> really around. early. Yeah, it's really And actually, it's not something that happens in crypto scene where someone that worked for a blockchain company for more than three years because here in the industry like one year is like 10 years in traditional market yeah i've heard that i heard yeah. it's like comparison went three is yeah. like uh, dog years right? yeah yeah like, it's like interstellar it's a different planet here yeah. Yeah. so i began my role here in the sandbox as the leading korea so i've been leading marketing operations and just overall our activity there to expand the sandbox there for last two years, and it was this year when I made a transition into global operations so that I can have a global experience and had to come to this great conference. Yeah, well, and George, what about yourself? So I head up Singapore and Malaysia. I've been doing Malaysia for about a year and just moving into Singapore, so it's a new experience for me. All that matters is a very interesting space for that. In the crypto space, I've been in the crypto space since the last bull bear, I think in 2016, 2017. Had a bit of a career in the Web3 space. I've done ICOs, I've done a lot of blockchain advisory, but the sandbox was actually the first NFT I ever bought which was interesting. So I knew the head of China at the time, and we are very decentralized, so the head of Hong Kong, China was based in Malaysia. So we are friends, and he told me about the sandbox, and that's kind of how I got in. I bought my first NFT, and then he said, you know, I need some help in Malaysia, and that's how it all began. So I think this was about a year ago, and uh, I've been here since, and now I'm going all in to the sandbox. Yeah, makes sense. It's been an exciting year for Sandbox. Of course, Matthew was one of our keynote speakers for NFTLA, and that was in March. So I'm sure there's a lot to catch up on, starting with Alpha Season 3, right? Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on there. Oh, yes. I think back then, uh, when you met with Matthew, we probably had Alpha Season 2 launched. 
So Sandbox, we first launched the Voxet in 2018 and Marketplace in 2019. And 2020, we launched the Game Maker. And the Alpha Season was actually the first uh, playable game content on the Sandbox that we launched last year, November, which was Alpha Season 1. We launched about 18 quests back then, and Alpha Season 2, 38 quests. For Alpha Season 3, we launched in the mid-August with uh, 98 experiences. Uh, 98, people, that's an interesting number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost 100. Yeah. We should have maybe created two more just to make it 100, <laughs> but 98. Yes. And there are more than 650 quests to complete. So it's time consuming to finish the whole journey. Yes. And Alpha Season 3, I mean, yeah, in this season, there are games using like IPs like Steve Aoki, like Snoop Dogg, and also like Walking Dead also. So you can come and play Walking Dead game on our Metaverse platform. And also, I mean, it's giving us a good boost in terms of user acquisition also. Like a mid like last year summer, our total registered like number was only like 200K. But throughout the year, through several offices, and now we have almost 4 million accounts created in our platform. So we've been making a very steady growth, even during the bear market. I think that's a part of content. We are not crypto-based or we're not speculative in the project. Our focus is on creating the contents for the users to enjoy. Thanks to that, I think we were able to make a steady growth even during the bear market. Yeah, that makes sense. And George, am I allowed to ask what your favorite quest is from the latest batch? Well, to be very honest, I like the Sueco one because I think it's I brought it up a lot because a lot of people when they want to come into the metaverse they're not sure what they want to do and like how does a musician or an artist come into the metaverse so I felt that if you look at it it's a really like an innovative form of storytelling to give people an idea behind the artist so they play some quests they play some games they get to know a bit about the history of the artist as well and from there they create more of a connection with their favorite artists I mean we did that with Snoop Dogg as well with his villa and Sueco's another one so I think in many ways one of the unique thing about the metaverse when it comes to user-created content or brand content is about that advanced or expanded storytelling. Another example was like we were speaking to like movies, right? And you know, there are independent movie makers who wants to go into the metaverse, but we told them, what if now your storytelling could be two-way? Because movies is all one way. You're telling a story one direction to an audience, but you can then add on that metaverse experience and people can be a part of the story and expand it. So these are things that we are working on, maybe some companies are experimenting on. So to me, that would be my favorite. Yeah, also just to add, I think one of the key attributes for Office Season 3 is really play to earn. Users can complete this quest and earn Ethos Point EPs, and they will give them rights to earn tickets so that they can win raffle ticket. They can join the raffle to get the Alpha Season 3 ticket. So once they have the ticket, they can get a 500 cent in reward as a basic. And then if they hold any of our existing NFTs, they will get additional uh, cent as a Guaranteed rewards. Guaranteed rewards. And finally, there's a leaderboard in Alpha Season 3. And if you are the first place, you will receive 30,000 cent, which is actually like closer to like 30k in dollars. So like you play, you know, game our office season three for three months and there's a good amount of Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very, yeah, it's a very competitive yes. amount of value to be yes. created. You know, especially depending on where in the world you live and the cost of living. It's yeah. very that could be extremely meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really exciting guys. And this is my first trip to Singapore. Yeah. 
for the whole team, in fact, that's here. And Welcome. It's a really hospitable country. Everyone's, like, so friendly. The food's amazing. Really interesting architecture. And there's a lot happening here in Singapore. A lot of people are asking, are you moving here? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. But, like, you just came on board for Singapore, and, and you've been here a while. Can you give us a sense of what's going on on the ground in Singapore and why it's become such a significant blockchain hub? Well, I think when it comes to Singapore, Singapore has always been a regional hub for all kinds of business, right? Especially when it comes to technology and innovation. It's been spearheaded a lot by the government as well. And it's been voted for two years running to be like the top technological hub in the world. And because of that, the acceptance to technology is really big. A lot of companies here are very open. The conversation is easy. Like compared to other countries that I've been with or I've managed, when we talk about blockchain, some countries are still like, is this legal? That's the conversation. But in Singapore, it's what can we do? So there's a very different starting point, and it's that openness and that desire from the smallest companies to the biggest companies to innovate their business. So I've been here like two weeks, right, preparing for the introduction of the Sandbox in Singapore. Already we've launched an academy. We've got DBS in the same span of time because all this was pre-negotiated. But more than that, I've met every kind of company you can think of. I've met so many of the biggest household names here, telcos, funds, etc. And they all want to talk. They all want to do something. And the conversation is like, oh, we want to do this, or we want to do that. Can we do this? And that's a really good conversation to have in any country, if you think about it. Because other countries, they'll be more like, eh, tell me what you want. Yeah, that's really cool. And Johan, you've been here a little bit longer, and I have an observation. I'm curious, you know, comment on it. You could agree, disagree. But, you know, I went to one of the National History Museums, and it became very clear that the whole history of Singapore, which is fascinating, as it, you know, you've got these great waterways and, and an economy that's really based on building bridges, imports, exports. So why not extrapolate that to the metaverse and to virtual exchange of goods and, and services? And it just seems like it's a very open culture about trying new things and, and being innovative. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I agree. I think every country has its own attributes and I think it's important to capture those values into the metaverse to make it more appealing for players and partners. I believe that Singapore has been always the leader in terms of innovation and they always strive to be the most innovative country in Asia. So I think what we're discussing at the moment, it's not fully decided, but we are preparing something like a Singaporeverse. So in the sandbox, so what we've been doing since the early this year is we've been doing a land sale with the theme of each regions that we are expanding. Like for instance, in Hong Kong, we have a market there also. So we launched the mega city within our metaverse where we introduced all our Hong Kong-based partner companies and IPs. We are doing the same with Korea also. So we are launching Kavers with all the entertainment companies, sports companies, and from like companies from the financial sector, media and crypto. We're introducing them in the Kavers, in the designated location. We are doing the same for the Singapore, and we are in the process of the building narrative. So we'll see how that goes, and mm -hmm. hope that our story will be appealing to the Singapore market and to our partners. It sounds like you guys have some really fun jobs. George, what are you looking forward to here in the forthcoming quarter or two? I think right now, there's a combination of things, but the key thing is to 
try to have some innovative experiences for the market. So we're really building that. Like the academy is one that's very educational, and that's not a common thing in the sandbox globally, but we really want to build creators and builders. So it's not just about the tech, it's also about the convergence of art with tech. And that's where the academy comes in because we teach people walks at it, game maker, and we want to do more of these kind of initiatives. We got some really cool stuff that we are planning for that I think people will be excited about. But I can't any, any hints? I think, okay, Alpha Season 3 has like interoperability, right? With like BAYC, Gutter Cat Gang, number one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Represent, right? But so the point is these NFTs, you know, a lot of them are these communities that are coming in and we make them interoperable. So there are some things that we're working on in this space as well. It's a big use case for the metaverse, right? To be interoperable with other projects as well. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Because Singapore is not just for Singapore-based companies. Companies throughout entire Southeast Asia, and there are many huge projects in Southeast Asia. They meet here, they converge here. So I'm excited to really connect and bring new communities in. And that opportunity to do so in a conducive place like Singapore for the next two months, at two quarters. And why next two quarters? Because we're in a bear. So it's probably the most accessible time for companies to collaborate with us, in a sense. Because we are building, right? And this is a time where real builders are here, so we don't have to deal too much with the speculators, the pump and dumpers, they're all not there. So it makes the conversation a lot more constructive. So I think the next two quarters, we want to take advantage of the bear and do a really good implementation into the Singapore. Well, that's cool. And guys, you're more than welcome to come join us in March of 2023 at NFTLA. I'm sure we'll have a lot of the U.S. representation from Sandbox there. It'd be amazing to have you guys, you know, in a panel talking about what's going on in Singapore. So let's definitely work on that. And meanwhile, if folks want to stay in touch with you guys or get involved in Sandbox and all the exciting stuff you're doing in Singapore and throughout Asia, what should they do? Where should they go? I think the easiest is to connect with me on LinkedIn or my email. So george at sandbox.game. Very easy. So that's meant to be easy to connect with. But yeah, LinkedIn and email is great to connect as well as our Twitter as well. Yeah, and just visit our website. All the contact information is there. But I'm here for Singapore and yeah, to join our initiatives here. Yeah, please contact George who is our head of Singapore. Alright, well thank you guys so much for spending a little time together and looking forward to seeing you around town the next few days and wish you the best with the next phase of the Sandbox journey. Thank you so much. Thank you very thank you. much. Thank you for having us. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or, have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued, or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them, and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today.
Hi everyone, this is Josh Krieger, co-host of Edge of an MT live at Token 2049 here in Singapore. It's day two and I get to spend some time with Max Cordex, CEO and co-founder of List. Hi Max, how are you today? Hi, pleasure to be here. I'm very good. Great, great. It's fun out there on the floor. Is this what you expected for the return of Token 2049? Yeah, I mean, I know the organizers pretty well and I know that they always make their latest conference better than the one before. And I've been in London before, I've been in Hong Kong before, and they were already amazing, but I think this one trumps them all. Really excited to be here. Saw already many great people, great minds building in the space. And I think from here on out, it's gonna be a very established event here in Singapore. Yeah, I can definitely see that. We like to iterate too. You always got to improve in this space and sort of take it up a notch. They've been extremely hospitable to us. We met some great people as well, including yourself. We'd love to sort of get some more background on you and, and Lisk um, for our folks that aren't maybe as familiar with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like a long established crypto guy in space since end of 2012. You're pretty young though. Well, yeah, one third of my life I've been in crypto. So 10 years. And back in the day, it was, of course, like an that's entirely... That's like 70 dog years. And that's yeah. like, you know, in crypto, <laughs> that's like a lifetime. That's a lifetime for sure, yes. And in 2016, I created Lisk, a Web3 application platform where we enable JavaScript developers to build their own crypto applications, essentially. And for that, we developed a software development kit, which they can use to easily do that. It took us like three years to get to a stage where we have a stable blockchain, but then it will take like an hour to get there with our tools. And the next step essentially is to build a platform for these Web3 applications then, so that we don't only enable developers, but also empower users in using these new use cases being established. And well, it's a pretty long journey already, being from 2016 to here. It took longer than expected. The platform is just launching early next year. But I think now it's a very like pivotal time for us because we're finally here with the product and can showcase what we've been building for so many years involving so much research, like over 60 research papers. So very happy to be here right wow, now. Wow, that is a serious, serious build you got going on. Not in it for the quick flip. No, the hustle is real and always thinking long term. That's great. So as a long-term thinker, I'm really curious where you see blockchain development rising. What are the areas that we should be all thinking about where builders should be sort of focusing their energy? Mm -hmm. So I think there are two paradigms to build blockchain applications. One is via smart contracts and the other is via app-specific chains. What we enable, what Cosmos enables, what Polkadot enables. And I think smart contracts are a great way to get started into the space, but to build really scalable and user-friendly applications, they're gonna be app-specific. Because, well, you have much cheaper fees, you can fine-tune your blockchain and user interfaces right to your use case. By app-specific, you mean like web-friendly apps, downloadable apps? With that, I mean that one app lives on one blockchain. Got it. In contrast to many smart contracts living on the same blockchain. You know? Thank you, got it. Um, and well, I think that's the future of blockchain development, and that's something developers should focus on. We see it just recently with DYDX, one of the most popular Ethereum applications, moving over to a Cosmos sidechain, so being app-specific. I mean, it helps clear the cobwebs and the clutter in, in traffic jams, yeah, right? To have exactly. your own version. So, like, 
I guess with that comes some challenges technically in terms of maintenance. So it sounds like Lyft is helping with that. Yes, definitely. So obviously why it didn't get so much traction so far is because it's just much more work to build your own blockchain. That's the main advantage of smart contracts. It's just very easy and fast and you don't have a lot of maintenance to do. You deploy it once and that's it. But in our case, it's different. But therefore, you get a wide range of other advantages. What we do is we're providing all the tools necessary. And I think we got them pretty well done to the point where it's very easy, actually, to deploy your own blockchain and to maintain it. What does that mean from a staffing perspective? I'm sure there's a variability, of course, based on the type of application you're building. But using lists, once I'm like, all right, List is for me. I like the name. I like guys with German accents. I'm going to go with List. Mm-hmm. What's the level of effort in terms of building on Lisk for different types of applications? Mm-hmm. So first of all, what we focused on was to build everything in a very accessible programming language. That's JavaScript. So with that, there are 20 million developers out there already which can speak that language. Especially for businesses, this is very important so that they don't have to rehire talents. They can just use their existing pool of developers. And if you want to build a blockchain application on Lisk, then, well, for the user interfaces, you need your designer, your front-end developer, like always. But for the application itself, I guess it would be very good to have one person being a bit more on the research side of things, could be a developer as well, but understanding more the theoretical assumptions of a blockchain. And then just a regular backend developer doesn't have to be like the elite elite what you need for solidity development for example because one small mistake can mean the loss and that's of all important your funds. solidity developers are hard to find and they yes. the elite ones are quite expensive exactly and if you don't have the elite ones you're gonna get hacked at one point so that's like for me like the biggest advantage you know like with your own native protocol you have much more flexibility in terms of securing yourself because you can rely on existing proven development tactics and strategies but also let's say if there's a hack you could like through a decentralized governance vote just somehow get it back because on your chain so all your users have collectively all power you need but on ethereum the governance is separated from the use cases so if your smart contract is losing money you'll never see it back i see so as you're having interesting conversations here and just in generally about the types of projects that want to work with you and build both traditional blockchain projects, infrastructure, but also NFTs. We are on the edge of NFT podcast. Mm-hmm. What gets you excited? What are some of the use cases on top of this that you're looking forward to seeing? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, the platform launches early next year and the Lisk community essentially is still at this point cherry picking because they can replicate existing use cases from other platforms. For example, the DAX, the regular NFT marketplace, and so on and so forth. Yeah, So that's there's like, all those basic dApps that every sort exactly. of protocol needs, right? So there's a huge opportunity for people to just join Lisk because a new ecosystem is being established with it. And one which is in the creation since many years, so it's not going to be some very fast stuff being shipped there. It's going to be very high quality. And what I'm very excited about, two blockchain applications being built, which fit the NFT area. It's one, Collecti, and the other is nft.com, E-N-E-V-T-I.com. And they're like exploring new ways of NFT interactions. 
So NFT.com, for example, they are looking into using NFTs for like celebrity communities. Mm. So that if you are a celebrity and you want to create NFTs for your own community to incentivize them to become more active, to interact and engage with your content more, then, well, you can issue NFTs for that. Or you could issue an NFT also to attend an event they're organizing, stuff like that. Do they have any specific celebrities that are backing them yet officially? So they are Indonesian-based. Okay. And we all don't know these celebrities because it's... But they're really cool people. They are very cool people. My girlfriend is Indonesian. They're the best people, of course. (laughs) Well-dressed. Good style. Yes, very well-behaved. Charismatic celebrities. All the the attributes you want in a celebrity. Exactly. So I think these kind of interactions with the real world are very interesting. So that NFTs right now live mostly in in the digital world with being like nice pictures or giving you maybe some access within Discord communities or so. But the link to the real physical world, I think, will empower a whole new world. And NFTs can really, really shine here, I think. Not only with these celebrities, but also with real-life events. I just heard the famous F1 Ambalanche is launching their own NFT here. So with that, it comes like a lifetime membership. So people are exploring and experimenting with that I, in the I real like world. I like lifetime membership NFT use cases because you get to see on the blockchain the whole history of that NFT and their interaction with that community, and they can pass it down. Exactly. There's tremendous value there in these lifetime NFTs that I don't think people realize. And there's, it's like with a membership pass, like you could lose it or you have to re-up it. You just got this like NFT that's there and you can frame it and show people it, you can flex it. That's the most important part, I think, because like many people always say like, yeah, but I can build it in a centralized database as well. Yes, but with the blockchain, you can prove that you actually own it. And let's be honest, people, especially in Asia, they want to flex. They want to show what they have. Else well, they wouldn't spend I think everywhere, on the table. in the U.S. as well. In the U.S. It's, as well. I'm know, from LA. Berlin, and Berlin is not like that. Like, yeah. all black, everyone's the same. You can't get a table at the club. You have to wait for hours. And then you might not get in, you know, like it's a but, very By the way, guys, thing. for those listening, not watching on YouTube, Max is wearing all black from head to toe, including his watch. Thankfully, the mic also matches your outfit. It's black as Thanks well. Thanks God, yeah. It's a <laughs> typical Berlin outfit, I would say. <laughs> I need to get over to Berlin. The Bright Moments crew was over there for a while. I don't yeah. know if you stopped by that gallery. Yeah, quite a few uh, times. Yeah. And yes. A friend of mine was involved with the one at the Kraftwerk, or how it's called, Trezor. Oh, cool. Uh, but yeah, also the, to their, well, I think, weekly meetups. Yeah, that's great. So they started in, in Venice. We did some live shows with them mm-hmm. back in the OG days and mm-hmm. got my New Yorker and my Venetian. I didn't get a Berliner. I assume you have a Berliner. So I had this. You sold it? Gold, it's okay. No, no, no. I had the golden ticket to mint it. Yeah. But I was not in Berlin and you had to be physically at the event. So I sent it to my COO, just sat him said to him can you claim it and then send it to me so he didn't claim it because he couldn't make it to the event he sent it to our legal lead and he claimed it and then suddenly it's, it was worth like thousand dollars or something suddenly and then he didn't want to send it back <laughs> no because he wanted if i would have asked him he would have but i was like no i wasn't there 
let's gift it to him. Like, ah. all good. But he's very proud of it. I think it's pretty cool pixel art. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll deduct that from your next bill or something. Well, and Germany has very high employment ship laws, so <laughs> not too many options there. Right. Well, it's just benevolent. No, uh, it's all cool. That's a fun story. And in Bright Moments is a really cool Web3 venture. Max, really fun talking to you as well. If people want to learn more about Lisk, explore building on your exciting new solution coming to market, where should they go? What should they do? They should simply head to lisk.com, L-I-S-K.com. And their developers will find all the documentation they need to start building with our SDK. And the users will get all the information about our upcoming platform so that they can start benefiting from this great technology. What's the timing there, approximately? Early next year. Can't specify it any further. Understood. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us and hope you have a fruitful remainder of your trip in Singapore. Thank you. Same to you. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Hi everyone, this is Josh Krieger with Edge of NFT, live at Token 2049 with Jeff Morris Jr., ironically, whose office is down the street from where I live in in Los Angeles. I was just at your office a few weeks ago for LA Tech Week. Jeff, it's great to see you here in Singapore. Yeah, we uh, travel across the world and get to hang out, so I'm excited. This has been an amazing event. Yeah, what's your take here? Tell everyone what you're feeling. I mean, it's day two. What do you think about the vibe here? What have been some aha moments or surprises? Yeah, I think people who make the trip to Singapore are here because they really believe in the space. And U.S. crypto events sometimes can be a bit noisier. And so people come here. And I think the biggest thing I've realized is just how important this region is to 
if you look across kind of like neighboring nations, Vietnam, Philippines, obviously Singapore has a lot of crypto interest, but there's this real adoption in Southeast Asia. And so it's just cool to be on the ground and to see what's going on here. Yeah. What got you going with, with chapter one? What's the origin story there? And, and maybe a little bit of background about yourself and how you decided to start chapter one. Yeah, for sure. So I was VP of product over at Tinder, which was obviously a crazy, crazy place to be. We ended up becoming the top grossing app in the world. We were transitioning. The consumer internet was all ads and then it became subscriptions. We were part of that movement. And then I was just really excited about NFTs because we were selling digital products at Tinder, which they were super likes, boosts, like things that people use for dating. But this idea that people could value digital products the same way you could value anything physical was really exciting to me. And so, yeah, the aha moment for me was I was into crypto, but the real moment for NFTs was CryptoKitties, of course, and ended up becoming obsessed with crypto. Was a seed investor in Dapper Labs and compound finance and the graph and some other things. But I always like the experimental nature of NFTs and the communities are just so, it's just like on the fringe of everything consumer right now. And I've always been attracted to that. Yeah, totally. And when did you start chapter one? We started in 2017. It really got started, I would say, in 2019, where I was doing it full time. And then V2, which is like, we have 10 people on the team now, entirely focused on crypto. And this is really, I think, where we've started the fun as like trying to compete with every other venture fund to win competitive deals. And it's a much different team and kind of process right now. Yeah, totally. And given your unique background, I'm really excited to dive into your thesis and what you think of the space and what the formula is for winning moving forward. But the immediate question for me, because I've thought about it, is what is the dating application uh, related <laughs> to NFTs? Or is there one? I mean, we've seen some of the adult companies get into the space, yeah. but from a more mainstream dating perspective, is there an NFT use case? I've thought a lot about like what more governance and like how do you build a really positive, safe community? And you could probably do that through ownership and tokens. We had a huge trust and safety team and actually in the Philippines. And so it was just like a constant challenge to keep the platform safe, really. And so I think you could create a really cool distributed model there. I don't think from what I've seen, most people go to Tinder to go on dates and they don't think about anything beyond kind of like, there's no crypto mindset when you're using Tinder, but maybe NFTs, like we always talk about giving someone like digital roses or something like that. Yeah. Within paid products, like you're always trying to create ways for people to stand out and to kind of flex. And so we joked if we had, because the highest price SKU you can offer in the app store is actually capped at $1,000. And we're like, what if we just made like digital bouquet of roses that was $1,000? And I bet there would be a bunch of our power users that would pay and that would really get someone's attention. And so maybe in an NFT form, that could be pretty interesting too. Yeah, I can totally see that. So sort of taking the conversation a little broader, what's your investment thesis on Web3 and how has that thesis evolved over the last year? Yeah, I think it's funny because when I started investing in crypto, the thesis was largely the same. It's that we need to do a lot of work to make crypto more accessible. And part of that is better products and designing better on-ramps for consumers. You know, there's still a small percent of the internet actually has interacted with crypto, although it's growing in the US. I think 20% of Americans own Bitcoin at this point. And we do have more mainstream awareness. But again, like what's like the everyday utility of consumer use cases? And then we think a lot on the developer side, there's 18,000 developers worldwide who are in the crypto industry. There's 15 million developers broadly on the internet. And how do we 
create better tooling to bring more developers in the space because you need developers and you need end users to really reach its full potential. Then broadly related to NFTs, actually having worked on subscriptions for so long, I actually think NFTs are the next evolution in terms of a better business model, where if you think about subscriptions, you join Spotify, or you join Tinder, and you really contribute to the network, and maybe you churn, you don't participate in any of the upside of the network. And so I think with NFT communities, you have so much alignment with the communities to grow the network. And again, like subscribing when you churn, you actually probably participate in a positive, there's a positive financial outcome from churning, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I mean, I can totally relate. So my background, I was a, one of the co-founders of Territory Foods, a prepared meal company up from Ventures back and been into LA. And it was all about sort of decreasing churn and increasing recurring subscription revenue. And for us, it was about building community. And we had our gyms, we had fridges at gyms, yoga studios throughout right. the country before COVID. And it was, it was a way of like meeting the consumer head on where they already exist. And I wonder, how do we do that with digital products? Yeah, I think what you said starts with the community and aligning incentives. And so crypto and digital assets broadly are a really easy way to do that and to make that available in a really cross-border way to anybody in the world. I think one of the big challenges right now, which I'm trying to better understand, is just there's no mobile crypto for the most part because we have such restrictive policies in the App Store and Play Store. So I think, again, part of this comes down to having the right distribution to meet consumers where they hang out. And it's pretty obvious that we all interact with our phones so much. But yeah, this space is all about aligning incentives with your end users. And so I think that's really exciting. So we're at this like inflection point. I just talked to Will Shark about it in terms of not only the NFT community, the crypto community, I'd say the global economy. As you're looking forward, what are you thinking about these days? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all trying to figure out what, again, like we can't control the macro environments entirely in, in the space. So there's just some part of the space that depends on some better fiscal policy and more liquidity entering the space. On what we can control is utility and making sure that we are building products that consumers want to interact with every day. And so we're thinking a lot about like what are the big unlocks for crypto in 2020? It's always a conversation, right? Like we had DeFi summer, we had NFTs in 2021. So what are those next big events for the space? And that's kind of, I've heard yeah. about like NFT Fi and DeFi did a panel about that in LA. Like, are these things that you see coming? Or are there other unlocks that you're thinking about that maybe haven't hit the mainstream conversation? So I, I just think a lot about where do we have product market fit and be real, really like pragmatic about understanding where consumer adoption is right now. On the consumer side, NFTs are the unlock. Like, that's where onboarding happens for mainstream consumers, you have to have more utility for kind of for attracting more folks. And then on the enterprise side, there's a lot of institutional interest in fiat backed stable coins for cross-border payments and many other really important use cases. And so it comes, I think, from making... So we've always taken the point of view, and it's slightly controversial, that you don't need to start with decentralization for everything. There's a lot of the world that prefers to kind of ease their way into crypto and, and over time choose their own path as to how decentralized they want their experience to be. Yeah, and um, I would argue that point of view was more controversial. Now people are like, all right, KYC is coming. Like, let's just deal with it. It was probably controversial like a year and a half ago. I was in, I am in a lot of Telegram groups with, you know, a lot of like very hardcore decentralization maxis. And I got like a lot of pushback on Dapper Labs as an example, who day one, they accepted credit card payments and they did not allow 
self-custody, but it turns out that it was a really effective way to onboard more people into crypto. So it's like, what's more important? Is it onboarding the next billion people or is it keeping the space kind of like a smaller space for more like OG crypto folks? And I would argue the next challenge, we should all be excited to bring as many people into crypto as possible and over time show them the benefits of self-custody and all these other interesting yeah. parts of the space. I, I think Burning Man is like an interesting metaphor for the space, right? Because there's all these OGs and then they're like, wait, where are all these new people coming from? And now they're like, all right, we got to figure it out. We got to all get along. We got to all hang out together. Inclusive only gets you so far. Yeah. Yeah. I think every ecosystem, every technology revolution has this concept of early adopters. And I would say it's the responsibility of those people to continue to educate people on the benefits of what decentralization stands for in terms. And we're seeing a lot of this with obviously censorship around the world and kind of all these really important topics that do have crypto can help solve. We should definitely educate people, but we can't assume that mainstream adoption cares at all about these topics. And that's kind of the point that I've been trying to make. And I think you're right. Like if you look at the Solana ecosystem as one example, like there were trade-offs for near-term performance and we had lower gas costs. We had higher, higher throughput initially, but we had a lot of mainstream adoption that of people who just wanted to buy the NFTs and they were happy to just own their first NFT and do it in a fairly cost-efficient way. Yeah, I'm excited about projects like Magic Link or Magic Leap, I think it's called, and other ones that are, are just trying to make break down these barriers. So getting into more specifics, are there any recent investments that you made that you're excited about that are public at this point that you can share with us? Yeah, definitely. Probably the most relevant to this audience would be we just co-led around it's Dust Labs. And so there, if you follow D Gods or know about Utes, D Gods was the number one Solana project, NFT Solana project. And Frank and Kevin. I've known Frank, who is obviously an anon, but he's an amazing founder. And so they're building a lot of tooling to help projects better monetize their communities, but also create more engaging experiences. And so we're pumped about that. And kind of outside that, there's a really well-known writer and founder named Antonio Garcia Martinez, who wrote this book called Chaos Monkeys. But he's building a product called Spindle, which is, again, it's kind of a boring like nuts and bolts project, but they're trying to create an attribution product for marketers to better understand what's kind of the downstream impact of things like airdrops and any incentive models so you can understand what customers are doing if it's driving retentive behaviors and kind of like typical cohort analysis that you do in any Web2 product. Cool. We may have to have those guys, both those guys on the show at some point. I'm sure you could help us out with that. We'd be happy. I mean, Antonio is incredible. He'd be a great guest. And then if you follow D-Gods, Frank is just a character, so... Yeah, yeah. No, I've been wanting to have him on the show for a while. Well, very cool. If folks want to learn more about Chapter One, maybe put their pitch into the mix and get your thoughts on it, what should they do? Yeah, so I'm JMJ on Twitter, so definitely give me a follow. And then our website's chapter1.com. And I think we actually have on the landing page a way to submit your company. So you will read any email you send. Well, as a product guy, that's not too surprising to hear that. <laughs> Jeff, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us this morning. Hope you have a fruitful trip in Asia this week and see you back in LA at NFTLA. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. This is Josh Krieger, Edge of NFT co-host here live in Token 2049 Day 2 with Jagdeep Sidhu, President and Lead Developer of Syscoin Foundation, 
Great to have you here, Jadeep. Thanks for joining us this morning. Excited to be here. So you guys are specializing in machine learning, artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, client server development, distributed systems, and you have like 20 years of software development experience. You guys are really looking at the future of blockchain and DAOs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, DAOs is a critical structure to figure out with how we are governing our future structures, like who are going to be the new banks in the new world. I think centralized exchanges will end up being, at least in the five to 10 year plan, will be the banks. And then the trading will happen on chain on the scalable infrastructures, like the perpetual trading DEXs and stuff that are creating up the DYDXs, the zigzags. But in terms of building, right, I want to build an ecosystem. I want freelance systems where people can come get work done. And it has to be global. And it, you need to disintermediate the people in the middle that are saying, okay, you can do the work and you'll get paid this much. It needs to be a direct market, lenders, borrowers. And the smart contracts can kind of get you there, right? But the problem is you always have this situation where there's counterparty risk. In every lending borrowing market, there's always this risk of, oh, I'll give you some money, but you could just walk away, especially if I don't know who you are. Yeah, and we experienced that across the entire industry recently. Yeah, <laughs> it happens all the time. And it happened up till in humanity since the beginning. But because we have this autonomous finance mechanism, we can actually innovate past that now. And for example, with DAOSIS, what we wanted to do is have, uh, you know how Uniswap works, right? You take your two tokens, you create an LP token, you put it into a smart contract. Sure. You're earning residual income while providing liquidity, right? It Sometimes. was a real, yeah. I mean, it was a, aside from the impermanent loss issue, there's a real innovation there incentivizing people to provide liquidity while someone else can borrow that liquidity. Now take that concept and throw it into a DAO type of idea where you put the money into a smart contract and then you can borrow against that position and lend it out to someone to build something. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, DAOs have always sounded great on paper to me. Mm -hmm. And I just saw a post this morning, a friend on Facebook, this is the year of the DAO. And like, <laughs> didn't we say that last year and the year before that and the year before that? But I do think this is a level of sophistication mm -hmm. that makes sense because it sounds great on paper to be part of this cool DAO. I've started a Josh DAO of, of Web3 <laughs> Joshes. Yeah. But man, governance and thinking about trust what comes first, the chicken or the egg, yeah. it gets really complicated. Well, so Andre Krohn's, the reason he left was because he was saying voting, and even Vitalik echoed this, of voting on chain and the typical DAO governance models, it just doesn't work. There's a conflict of interest when you create new tokens, how well is it distributed, for example, how easy is it to accumulate a large chunk to sway opinions. And so voting in a DAO model you know, in a typical company structure, you can have shareholders and all that stuff and vote on direction. We think that's a bad model and it's not going to lend to anything great long term. And the other thing is a lot of DAOs end up creating speculative tokens and they say, okay, the token goes up, the DAO is more powerful, it can do more stuff. That's also speculative. It's not conducive to long term growth. In our model, it's maybe not even a DAO. It's really a financial management tool with blockchain and smart contracts you're not actually getting a speculative token out of that. You're just creating a position in yourself by locking your collateral and borrowing against it. The key thing here is there's no counterparty risk, meaning if you lend out your capital, you have an LP position and that entire, everyone else's position is also in there, right? They're also lending and borrowing. That whole thing is indexed and it's rebased, meaning the treasury is growing on its own. 
as people are churning DeFi, there's interest that's interest rate. Is there still a problem though of like like a run on the bank where every, one big whale pulls out and then everyone else pulls out? No, it's your own collateral is your <coughs> own position. And so you're an isolated risk. So someone else's position doesn't affect yours. You come in there as a bank and you want to lend out and build something or just do some real estate or whatever, right? You can do that. You all obviously have to lock up for a certain period of time. So there's, you do the inherent time risk at the beginning, but the time risk is isolated because now there's no counterparty risk when you're borrowing or lending. So if the guy does some work and he never ends up doing the work, the DeFi market's going to pay you back. So this is like the central bank setting an interest rate, which is now the DeFi market. And the central bank is saying to the bank, this is your interest rate. You go to the market and charge a different interest rate. Now the central bank is the DeFi market that's charging an interest, giving you an interest rate on your loans as a bank. You come in as a person and lend out. And so the counterparty risk is removed because it's isolating time. So over some time, your loan is going to pay back itself. And not only if the guy did some work and he gave it back to you and you, great, you got some value out of it, but your loan will be also paid back on its own. So that's the innovation. There's no governance and there's no speculative token. It's really a tool that we want to use to create like a flywheel effect of growth and keep the economy going. Not only are you sort of building on the ideas of the last few years, but you're working with some of the earlier pioneers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the original Olympus DAO people that were working on this sort of spec, but they went in a different direction. They went towards monetary mass and stable form of currency and that sort of thing. And you have to incentivize people differently. So in that model, you have to create speculation that it's going to monetize and stabilize. You have to create more ROI. And the whole thought there was the original founders thought there could go two directions. You can go the monetary mass way, or you can go to the building direction, which is what the DAOs, I think, should go, right? And not, a DAO shouldn't be trying to incentivize you to create a monetary mass, because that's a different sort of tangent. And we saw the Olympus DAO, it, you know, it's still going, but it's not what it cut out to be. And there was this whole untapped market of Let's create a builder market or a decentralized freelance market where people can get stuff done and there's no counterparty risk. There's only time value. Interesting. So you guys have a fund that you're rolling out, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to learn more about that fund. And then what industries and subsections of the blockchain industry do you think what you're doing applies to? Are we talking about social DAOs and creator DAOs and art DAOs, or are there different use cases you have in mind? Well, in terms of the DAO, it's a blank slate. People can come in and create their own DAOs, and we're effectively, there's different layers. There's the treasury management. So Constitution DAO, Blockbuster DAO, they can all use it. Well, the treasury management component is a way where we can... Josh DAO can use it. You could, and what we're saying is we found a way to make a treasury management system that's upgradable in a way that we don't have control over the upgrades. Because that's a big problem in the DeFi space right now, is who's actually got proxy control of the smart contract. And so we created a treasury management system that lets you upgrade the core components while retaining the security of the funds. And you're creating features and you're just basically cloning an existing feature into a new one. And people can opt in by moving their value into that new smart contract. The original one remains immutable. And that's our thought process instead of giving proxy control. And so the DAOs can be built on top. And our DAO, DAO Sys, is an example of leveraging that treasury management system to build a, a DAO system on top. Very cool. And how does that relate to this Rolex Testnet ecosystem fund? 
Yeah, we're announcing like a $20 million ecosystem fund through partners that as we roll up layer twos, there's going to be a ton of protocols and stuff being built on top, right? As we're a layer one, right? We're like Bitcoin and Ethereum put together in one box because we've got the Bitcoin security, we've got the smart contracts, we've got the layer two on top. And so there's a bunch of projects and new projects coming and they need to bootstrap funding. They have seed raises, they have token events, and we have partners interested in those, especially if they're nice, interesting ideas with white papers. So nice people too. Nice people too and their docs and all that. So we bring them to the ecosystem fund and we have that. And we're also establishing in this first time, actually we're announcing this, but Syslabs, which is kind of like a structure from the Syscoin Foundation that will take these projects, also build our own projects that will be funded and then build the Syscoin ecosystem, leveraging DAOSIS to create a flywheel effect of growth. And long-term vision there is to create a new sort of corporate environment, which is governed by the holders of Syscoin itself, their social governance. So a constitution in the company will be set up to say, the funds used to create the ecosystem growth will be governed by the Syscoin holders of the layer one. So if you're a layer one, you have direct alignment in the growth of the ecosystem. Different than having direct governance on a, some new contract you create with Josh tokens, which may not be distributed in the same way. And there's conflict of interest with Ethereum itself because Ethereum's goals are different than Josh Dow's goals. We're creating a direct alignment with the actual Syscoin ecosystem directly where the holders of Syscoin can in protocol vote on where things go. And it's a social construct in a way where we're not beholden, we're not tied. In case they say turn around and burn everything, it's a social construct. We're going to do it within limits. So if you say go and fund a ZK initiative or create Bitcoin miners or do something like it, we could do that. Wow. Well, that sounds really exciting. How can people learn more about what you're doing and get involved? Yeah, I mean, we've been around for a while. We just refreshed the website today, actually, syscoin.org. And so links to Discord and Telegram. And we got like a huge community. A lot of OGs are with us in terms of they've known us or they're building with us. And so we've got a lot of people who can help new people have the contextual knowledge to get people from zero to 100, basically. And a lot of people that have been around a long time that know the pitfalls that new investors might fall into when they get into these spaces, you know, the knowledge curve of, do you really believe in these, some of these Ponzi ideas that are coming out, you know, how to filter them out. So the community is kind of just a tight knit, you know, couple hundred thousand people now, but a tight knit community of people that are helping each other and growing together and Discord, Telegram, Twitter, all those are good mediums to connect with us. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing all that and exciting announcement. I'm definitely going to check out the new website after this interview and look forward to keeping tabs on what you guys are doing in the space to evolve the thinking, the technology, the sophistication of DAOs. Great to have you here today. No, thanks for having me. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.